hate these days. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I was so good I last time. I love it. <laughs> and you better keep this in, brother, because I love it. <laughs> Welcome to Shirts and Ties, a podcast about education and culture. I'm Brian Miller. And I'm Casey Shirts. Casey, my brother, what are we chatting about today? Well, what I decided today was I was going to take some of the things that I'm working on uh, with my staff and in the building and something I'm doing on my own time and, and kind of turn it into a, a question or a problem that I'd like us, us to think about. And so um, I'd mentioned before that my professional development team is putting together, uh, you know, a session and, and they asked me to talk about universal design for learning. And in my prep for that, uh, I was looking at just universal design, the, the original idea of universal design. And also I, I started taking a course. Uh, it's a pretty well-known course uh, offered by Yale. It's sometimes called the happiness course. And it's, it's uh, about you know, how do we attain well-being and, and and happiness? And so as I was taking that course and I was doing the this work for universal design and universal design for learning, I started to wonder if if there was a universal design for life, uh, a way that we could all achieve happiness. And honestly, I think that might be too big of a question, although I like I would like us to touch on it. But at the very least, I'm wondering if there would be policies or solutions in, you know, the society that we live in, similar to universal design that allows, you know, the world to be accessible physically. But is there a universal design that would allow this world to be accessible, accessible, you know, emotionally, uh, you know, one that would benefit our, our mental health and our well-being, no matter where we're at in life? They're like a an actual or at least somewhat agreed upon definition for universal design? Generally, when we talk about universal design, what we're talking about is the architecture of the world that we live in being flexible enough that it can be accessed by people with a wide range of abilities, disabilities, and preferences. Because typically when we design things, we design things for the average user. Yep. But but universal design says, no, we should make things equitable, flexible, simple enough for, for just about anybody to be able to access that space. So I think some of the best examples that we encounter on a daily basis, the ramp on the curb on a sidewalk, right? That didn't always exist, but putting a ramp on there is pretty simple efficient. It's not expensive to do, but other things it doesn't like, impede anything. No, you don't have to use it. Right. And other great examples are, I mean, you have settings in your car when you and your wife drive, you hop in there. And if your wife was the last one to drive, you push a couple of buttons and now it fits you as opposed to, you know, the seat being for Let's her. just be real clear. You and I uh, have different standards of vehicles. I do not have anything nice and fancy, so there are no buttons on my cars. I have a little bar underneath my seat that I have to adjust <laughs> each and every time. That's fair. Actually, my car has uh, a one and a two. If I get in, I hit the one. If my wife gets in, she hits the two and everything's fancy, right where it should Fancy, fancy pants. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's just to cover up all my insecurities. I got a nice car. <laughs> <laughs> I'm even thinking we had, like all schools, we we had to spend a lot of time and money putting in buzzer systems in our doors. So my, my school is an old school and it's built on a pretty, I don't know the exact 
term for the soil, but it just shifts a lot. And so there's just major shifting all over our schools. And so uh, about once every two months, we have to go and shim a lot of the doors because otherwise they won't close. Um, but because of that, it's been a long time coming that we've actually installed a buzzer system in our school. Um, but we, we service 20% of our population is the base here in town. Um, and we just have obviously children and staff in our school. And so our superintendent did a great job this year of just kind of saying, okay, this is something we need to shore up district-wide. We're going to be safe in all schools. We're all going to have this buzzer system. All that to say, we installed one. It's great. Rather quickly, uh, my, my secretary came to me and said, hey, we have two deaf parents. They're, they're married together. They can't hear me and they don't hear the buzz. And so I had to call the company and say, I need, I need something visual. And it's to your point, it helps everybody, right? So we're all more visual than we are audible. So this light system that's going to be installed, everyone can see it. And that's probably what's going to become everybody's norm of that they know the door is open. But it also helps out these, this couple that can't hear the audible. So it's a, it's a simple design, simple addition, helps everybody, but it also includes those who need it. What benefits those individuals um, with unique abilities often benefits everybody. So and, I, you know, I'm not going to push in too hard yet. I just want you to know that as I've been thinking about this, um, and as we're even still talking about it, universal de design obviously is beneficial in so many ways. There's always this phrase in the back of my head, and it's from Jurassic Park, the first one. Uh, and it's when they are first brought to the island and, uh, you know, it's being celebrated. Look at, look, look at all this fantastic stuff. And Dr. Malcolm says this phrase somewhere in the midst of their argument. Um, we were so busy considering whether or not we could, we never stopped to think if we should. Right. And so in this universal design, th this, anytime I'm thinking about something, I always kind of pause and say, what are the what are the, the negatives to this? Is this like we you and I chat often? We launch so quickly into um, technological advances, and we're so fast to add more and to be faster and to do this and to do that that we rarely stop and say, "Should we have done this?" All of these benefits are we actually better? So, I think. The most important thing when we consider universal design, and we can get, we'll get to universal design for learning here in just a second, and then we can talk about universal design for life. But I think the most important thing is that we give independence and autonomy to everyone. That's what we want. We want people to have autonomy. And so I think we have to consider how much autonomy can we provide people without it being too much of a financial cost, social cost, or, or you know, whatever the expense might be the time, you know, all of that. Right. Cause those are the barriers, right? When I thought about the barriers in general of creating universal design, I think number one is a financial barrier, right? It I costs for education. Guys... I put the, the shortcoming is resources. Yeah. People, finances, always... whatever. Yeah. It's always an issue. And, and when you talk about in education too, we're talking about a public se sector, we're talking about, you know, public money, we're talking about taxpayer money. So there's limits yeah. to it for sure. Yeah. Um, also, you know, if, if we talk about private sector, sector, those corporations, like if they can, if they can service enough people to, to make back whatever money they want to make a profit, 
are they going to want to invest in universal design if it's really not going to contribute to their bottom line? Hmm. Right. So there's that challenge too. Um, I also think there's a, a social barrier. The, there's a stigma with the sign with the, the person in the wheelchair, right? If you have that on your vehicle, are you be being stigmatized? If you park in yeah. that spot, are you being stigmatized? If you use yeah. these uh, resources, are you being stigmatized? So I think there's a social cost to that. And I think that might even be more profound when we talk about the classroom, when we talk about universal mm-hmm. design for learning. Um, well, let's, let's dive into that. Cause that's, I, I, I'm curious to see where you're going to go on this. So let's di- dive into the universal design for learning. What are some thoughts you have? Well, I think once again, the, the key to universal design for learning is that as much as possible, we create a learning environment that accommodates the needs and abilities of all learners. And I think the simplest way to think about it is what we're trying to do is we are trying to eliminate unnecessary hurdles. And so the examples I can give, so I taught social studies history primarily for for 20 years, right? And as soon as it was available, I allowed my students to use text-to-speech because mine's a content class. Like I did lots of things where I was trying to teach reading, but if my goal for the day was the content and I had students in there who weren't great readers, just use text-to-speech. And I had lots of students who weren't necessarily poor readers, but it might've been a day where they didn't get a, lot, get a lot of sleep or for some reason they were unfocused, just putting in the earbuds and having the text read to them as they read along, help them too. The reading itself for some was an unnecessary hurdle because I wanted them to learn the content. You know, in math, if you're trying to learn a, a new formula, but you don't know your multiplication, get a calculator because the multiplication has become an unnecessary hurdle for learning that formula. And that's the key to universal design. When you say something like accommodates needs of all learners, that is such a a catchphrase of education. Every teacher will say yes. If it's just that simple, why aren't we doing it? I think some people don't have not clarified what their learning objective is. And so they're trying to get kids to work on so many skills in the course of a single day uh, that it all gets muddled they haven't conceptualized what it looks like or, or areas that we should focus on in universal design. So like when I talk to my staff, I'm going to try to simplify it into three areas, which you'll find in a lot of readings and things. We want to have options for engagement. Uh, We want options for instruction and we want options for express expression. So I should instruct in a variety of ways and they should be able to express themselves in a variety of ways. So I'm just going to simplify it to those three categories. Right. And so what that looks like for engagement is, I mean, I think scaffolding is is the number one thing. We we have to have Goldilocks tasks, tasks that are just right for the students in your room. How do you do that? You got to meet kids when where they're got, at. Yeah, yeah. You got thirty kids. Yep. You got so, thirty kids. You have map testing around the corner, and you have a district or a principal that says this is what you need to get through at this period of time. You know, uh, by the end of January, February, uh, you should be this far in your curriculum. I built a scaffolding document that a teacher could plan with to move a kid from zero, I know nothing, all the way to four, I can apply this to a new experience. 
And I think the important thing is you can't move a kid more than one step at a time. So a kid goes from, I have no idea to, I have an idea to, I have a couple of ideas to, I have lots of ideas. And now I can apply this to a new situation. And so I think what you have to do is you have to show up each day, knowing that there'll be kids in each of those zero to, to three or four. And you just have to have some pieces in place that could move a kid from zero to one, one to two, two to three three to four. I, I'm just trying to make sense of this in my own brain. So you and I are secondary teachers by nature. Uh, you still work in the middle school. I'm now obviously in the elementary. Um, as a English teacher in secondary, I took a, a page out of uh, Daniel Pink's playbook, uh, Motivation, or uh, what's it called? Drive, uh, What Motivates Us. And he talks about uh, autonomy days. Uh, and we use that in the classroom. So uh, once a quarter, I would give my students Here's the objectives, right? This is just what you need to learn. How you learn it and how you express it, that is completely up to you, right? And so uh, we would go through this, uh, the, whatever we've learned in that quarter, you find you one area that you really struggled, that you'd like to boost your grade up a little bit and, re- and re-show your learning, or an area that really interested you that we didn't have time to dive into. You've now got four days, dive into it however you want. At the end of it, you just need to show your learning however you want. And so, and I had more parameters than that. That made sense for me. And it was fantastic. I had kids doing piano music. I had kids doing slideshows of photography, all hitting on an objective from the quarter. A kindergarten teacher does not have the opportunity to give their children three seconds of autonomy. Sure. So let me, and and I'm trying to do this off the top of my head because I did not bring these resources, but really how it looks is if a kid's at zero, they know nothing, they need pre-teaching. They need yeah. a, a, a visual glossary. They need some modeling, right? They need to get information that they can then attach the new learning to. So sure. that's what you, you need to make sure that pre-teaching is available in a lesson. Uh, if a kid has an idea, that's where you can start to do the KWL charts or maybe a, a little turn and talk and, and let kids start to talk about the thing they already know. That might be a little bit of, you know, you go from, um, I do, we do, you do. So that might be the, we do let's, let's do stuff as a group. Um, if a kid has a couple of ideas, now you can start to turn them loose. They can start to practice whatever that thing is independently. They can start to replicate that skill with new information. Right. If a kid already has that, then you just have to have some things in place where that you give that kid a a new scenario and a new situation and see if they can apply that learning. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm still, and I'm going to have to wrestle with this independently for a little bit because I, whatever you just said, I agree with all of it. Um, it just, it's, it's, it's hard to bring that down to lower elementary, but which, which that's a, that's a minute, uh, fraction of, of our society in general. So we sure. can table that. Um, well, so let's just, uh, maybe let's link to that document I created in, in our show notes and somebody can yeah. fiddle with it. Maybe an elementary person can take a look at it and, uh, no, that'd be great. Yeah. It's a good idea. Um, okay. So, um, academic, uh, or learning, uh, universal design for learning, uh, accommodates the needs of all learners. So what are some other barriers? Cause when I'm thinking of this, uh, some of the barriers that don't allow this is, is a fear that, and I actually did my master's work, on the 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 destruction of um, high stakes testing right how standardized testing is not a true assessment of learning and one of the components of that was when teachers because we are graded um our schools the teacher the grade 
by their standardized testing, whether it be MAP scores, whether it be whatever your state test is, whatever the, the district or whatever test is. We're all looking at that grade, that teacher, that school. What that does is creates an element of fear that I need my kids to know this material at this time. And so we teach to the test. And we do that when we're not confident that great learning is what you just said. Learning the, learn the way you want to learn. Uh, show it in the way you want to assess. Even, even in the studies that said, listen, this, the standardized testing is the lowest form of um, assessment, the lowest form of expression of knowledge. So if your kids never duplicate a standardized test in their learning and they do projects and they do videos and they do all these fun, fun and creative things, when they get to the test, it's such a simplified way, they'll understand it, they'll be fine. But that's scary for teachers to do. Well, and I don't think it's quite that abstract. In fact, for a kid who knows nothing, setting them free is the, the worst choice. Agreed. So th that <laughs> part where you're setting them free, right? That's, that's towards the end. At the beginning, you are just making sure that you are giving them tasks that they are ready for. That's what's going to keep them engaged. And so you, you do probably for every lesson you create, instead of one resource now, you're it's a little extra work because you're making three. You know, one of the things I would always do is I would use Newzella or NewZLA to make sure that I had text at different reading levels. Yeah. And I had a couple of different ways I would distribute that. Sometimes I would just give the right text to the right kid, or sometimes I would put three versions of it, ABC, and I just say, hey, you know, pick the one that makes the most sense to you, the, the one so, that's right. Can I get romantic on this then? Sure. This is a pie in the sky idea. And I, I'm not the first one to come up with it. One of the greatest barriers to universal design is that you walk into second or third grade and we say at the end of second grade, this is where you need to be. This is the knowledge you need to have. And what that does not do is take into account where you are. And so universal design, we chatted in a previous episode, one of our, our new awards this this year, and we started at the end of last year, is on a roll, not on a roll, but on a roll <laughs> award. Right. Uh, and what I love about that is, you know, we have, we're doing map testing right now. And so we're getting some data coming in and I love seeing my teachers come in. This child is not where they need to be, but look at how much they've grown. Yeah. Right. And I love that. And if that is the focus, just grow. Our goal is to grow kids emotionally, yeah. academically. Can we just get rid of these standards? I understand the standard of like, this is where we'd like you to be. We're not going to grade you on that. We're just going to grade you on growth. Yeah. My, and my ultimate question today has been universal design for life. And to your point, I think one of the things that I would say we need to do is to live an untimed life. Uh, the, the clock needs mm. to be turned off. I think we put so Clocks much are, are not natural. They aren't, they aren't, but I think we'd be healthier if we lived an untimed life. We, you know, I, I understand you have to have deadlines for certain things. Things have to get done. But to say that we have to meet a certain standard within a certain time or by a certain age, like, I don't think that's a healthy way to live life. I agree. We can't do anything about it though. Nope. So, not so enough. How do we uh, exist within that structure? Yeah. I, I think, well, and that's the challenge I had with this question generally is I don't know how much of, of the, the, you know, mental health crisis we're facing, uh, our struggles for happiness, how much of that is our, our own fault. And we need to create a new set of rules for ourselves or how much of it is the structure of a, a, 
a society of, you know, the grind society where you just work hard and try to get the next thing or, or, yeah. you know, no, but, that's, I'll be honest with you. That's really where my, my mind went. You, you sent me a text, I think on Sunday or something like that saying, Hey, we're going to be talking about universal design. Think about it. And, um, I'm not smart enough to come up with solutions that radically impact and change education generically, uh, much less my own little setting in school. But one of the things that really began to come to mind anytime I sat and thought about it, anytime I started to wrestle with a solution, the phrase is, and I'm going to flesh it out a little bit, get out of your own way. Um, and what I meant by that is the pressures and the expectations that we put on ourselves to know everything, um, to always be confident in what we do. If we just have a sense of humility of, I don't know, do you know how freeing that is for me? Uh, it's embarrassing at times, but as a principal, as a dad, as a, as a husband, I don't know. That doesn't mean I'm done looking or I'm not going to do anything about it. I just don't know. And so if I, if I don't have that burden of walking around feeling like I have to know everything, um, that releases me uh, a ton of burden of life. If I walk around and, and I believe that things and ideas are what define me um, and I hold tight to those, I will be battling all the time. But if I just realize that things and ideas are always secondary to the person in front of me, that releases a ton of burden. And so that also, so that, that plays itself into a classroom. Your, your curriculum is important. Your lesson of the day is important. And I'll be honest with you, the, the test scores that you get on map testing and whatever, they are important. Are they more important than the children in front of you? Hell no. Are they more important than the interaction you're going to have with your librarian or the teacher down the hall, whether it be positive or negative? No. Those things are more important. And so can I just continue this thought? I'm, I'm going I'm to yeah, finish it. hijack this for a little bit because another thing that I've been thinking about recently, and I've experienced this with my bosses, is, and this is, this is where the call or gets the challenge to principals and to superintendents and to educators at large. Uh, it is so almost enjoyable, but at least fully comforting for me to walk into hard conversations with my teachers, with my parents, when I know I have support from my bosses. I've had to engage in some really hard conversations recently. And when I know my bosses are, are that if they're, when they're called, or when I know that when it's put, when I get pushed back and they are, yep, you're doing the right thing. Yep. That's the decision that we made. It's almost enjoyable to walk into conflict because I know we're going to be able to solve this problem. I don't have to battle. I don't have to get defensive. I don't have to do all these things. I'm just going to talk to you as a person because this solution is secondary. We're going to get there. You're primary. I know that I have support. And so that's maybe one of my biggest convictions as a educational leader is to make my teachers know that they are supportive. That doesn't always mean that I will agree with them. And it doesn't always mean that whatever they do, I'm going to give them a high five and say, well done. Like my bosses with me, I'm held accountable. When I screw up, they tell me I'm wrong. When I can do better, they tell me to do better. But if I can convince my teachers and I need to convince them by my actions over a long period of time, listen, your children are more important than your grades. I think the grades will come. But if in second grade, and actually you, you and I battled with this when we were teaching together, and you were kind of probably one of the, the first initial people to kind of plant this seed in my mind. I think you talked often, and you referenced it a little bit ago, that if you get a kid in your history class, the district is saying they need to be here. But if they can't read, the objective of them understanding history, you're still going to work on it. 
your your more important objective is I need this child to read. So I'm going to work with them on teaching them how to read because they can learn the history later. But if they can't read, that's opens a can of problems for the rest of their life. And so if you get a kid in your class who's just so far behind, they're never going to get on. They're never going to get on level. Just get them to grow and you can get we can solve future problems by making them feel supported and loved and growing them as a person. And that's, that's maybe the, my conviction on this universal design. The universal design that we as educators need to focus on is let's rid ourselves of all of these objectives that are forced upon us by society, by government, by whatever. These are important. We will talk about them. The freedom that we have is the restriction of just deal with the kid in front of you. That's what you have. That's what you've been given. Love that kid, support that kid, grow that kid. And there's a bunch of points I want to jump on here. One is that's the point, I think, of of differentiation or scaffolding. I know we all define differentiation in a variety of ways. And it's if we define it the wrong way, it's it's a burden you can't do it. Like I can't give a thousand options for kids to do. But for me, differentiation means meet the kid where they're at and have material ready to move them to the next point. You also talk a little bit about difficult conversations. You know, what's nice about family is you can have difficult conversations and then you'll recover from that. You guys have, you have a a healthy family. Yeah, right. Exactly. And you know, with my own children, I often said, sometimes love looks like discipline. So it's not, it's not that we're letting people Mm. get away with everything and we're not high-fiving. We're not always just saying good job. Like sometimes we're having a difficult conversation because love looks like discipline sometimes. And as we, I'm not sure if we're going to have time to really flesh out this, you know, universal design for life. But one of the things that I was also thinking about as you were talking there is we often talk about being present and being in the moment, right? So that goal for, you know, test scores or whatever, that's way down the road, not nearly as important as this moment that you have right there in front of your students. And I don't know if we live enough in that moment. So I said earlier that I was taking that happiness class through Coursera, that Yale class, uh, mostly just because I'm trying to figure out how to have the language and have conversation with my staff about how to try to stay in a good place as we go through these difficult months. But one of the things that it talked about is, you know, a way to be healthy is to savor the moment, to really just be in the moment. And uh, it was kind of funny. So uh, I was dropping Max off my son at his basketball practice. And and he always wants me to walk him in because usually I have to drop him off, leave him, go get Zuzu, my littlest from from uh, preschool. But he always wants me to walk in with him. He feels better. You know, then he knows the coaches are there and it's really happening. He's, he's got a little bit of, you know, anxiety or whatever. But I decided in that moment, as we were walking from my car and, and I, he was right beside me and we were walking up the steps we were walking to the, the pronghorn center, this really nice uh, arena that we have here in town. I was like, all right, I'm going to savor the moment. And I really just, I took it in and it was like, people designed these steps these rails, this building. And it was actually kind of amazing to just really observe the world around me. It was awesome. And then I laughed a little because have you seen Parks and Rec? I have not, but okay, keep going. So just real quick, for any of you who have seen Parks and Rec, uh, there's the Chris Traeger character. He's Rob Lowe. And he's almost intolerable because he savors every moment constantly and it becomes too much. So I laughed at myself a little bit because I felt a little bit like Chris Traeger, but it it was a big deal. I, I did enjoy that moment more than I ever had. I enjoyed walking with my son and appreciating what we had here in Gillette, Wyoming. 
I don't want to be redundant, but elevator thinking is impacting my world right now. And we referenced it last episode, elevator thinking. You can't do much about you're getting from point A to point B. That's your objective. You can't do anything about it. What I can do is change my experience. And I think to your point, uh, savor the moment. What that oftentimes means for me is one of the biggest thieves of uh, of happiness or um, any sort of joy in life is regret. And so when you don't savor moments, you're oftentimes looking back saying, I wish I would have experienced that better. My wife has taken off for a trip um, uh, for the next week. And she's, she's terrified because my wife cares deeply about our family. She wants it to go well. So she has spent way too much time. Every single person in our family has a almost the exact same schedule for the next seven days, but how each person has a unique responsibility over the next seven days. And so she leaves this morning. She's on the way to the airport right now. And so I simply just sent her a text of like what you just said, be in the moment. And I just said, please do not burden yourself with us and simple concerns. Breathe in the unique experience, smell the ocean, feel the sand, right? Like don't come back from this fairly unique trip to go see her brother to, to meet one of her nephews with concern about us. We're still going to be here. We're going to survive no matter what kids may not eat really great food all the time. Uh, but we're still going to be here. You are, will not, I don't want you to come back from this time and regret your time with your brother next to the ocean, all that kind of stuff. But let me just take a full circle as you were talking, because I do want to kind of give some sort of application. Yesterday, I went and observed my kindergartners as they were map testing. And I don't, man, if you don't spend time in a kindergarten classroom, you will regret life. It is just the most enjoyable, especially when you have quality teachers. And I have, I will put my two kindergarten teachers against any kindergarten teachers in this country. They are so fantastic. So I'm in there and I literally have this dumb grin on my face the entire time. I just love it. And they're map testing and I just love it. But I noticed, so there was, uh, we had a couple other teachers in there kind of supporting them. And the, the little girl in front of me on her computer, I noticed it's, uh, the question is 10 minus zero equals. And she clicks on that page, doesn't even think about it, click six, clicks the next number because they're told that when you get to the puppy, your, your test is done. And she begins to see some of her classmates over to the side, reading books, whatever she's just clicking through. And so when she finishes, uh, I tell one of the supporting staff, Hey, she's just kind of clicking through the answers. And she's like, well, we can't do much about it in this environment. So they all kind of finished their testing. And I said, Hey, what did you mean by that? She's like, well, um, you know, this is where they typically, we used to have a, a computer lab. We got rid of that. And so now they're in their classroom. So she's like, it's, it feels different when you go to a different location. Um, but they're in the same location where they play and where their, their crayons are and where their Play-Doh is. And so they're kind of in that mindset, the way it's set up, uh, we can't see all screens. And so we can't be in all places at one time or in the lab, the way they were set up, you can kind of isolate yourself in the middle and you could see all screens. And so quickly I just said, well, let's change it. Right. And I don't know what the solution is yet, but we can do things like let's rearrange the room next time. Let's maybe swap kindergarten rooms next time. If I need to isolate a room over here that we use for other things, let's use that. Like sometimes I do feel like we get so caught up in problems that we don't just find simple solutions, just simple little things in our classrooms, in our lives. Uh, there was one time uh, one of our back doors, the, the knob was broken. And every time I walk, walk, walked by the back door, I actually felt anxiety because it was such an annoying door. So one day I sat down and in three minutes it was fixed and my anxiety was gone. Why didn't I do that four months ago? But we do these little things. Just remove some of these simple barriers. 
I saw advice one time that said something like, if you can, if you can finish the task in five minutes, then do it right now. Um, yeah. you know, and so if, if you have this little simple thing and I do that around the house all the time where we all just, do this. Yeah. yeah. I have a headlight out in my car and it's been out for six weeks. My wife and I have both been pulled over about it. <laughs> just like <a> dumb headlight. <laughs> well, it's funny you talk about testing too, because with, we're doing some testing also. And it's with secondary students, it's the opposite, which is no, we need them in the classroom where they're learning the content. And that's gotta be the space where we get them tested. Cause that's going to be where they're in the right frame of mind, which is, you know, just on that list again, that uh, different people need different things. Elementary kids, things need things that are a little bit different. Secondary do right. Or even kids. And so like, I know that we're all struggling with resources and people, but would it be impossible to say, hey, some of our kids, they need an alternative setting. So we're going to help them out over there. And not because they need all these accommodations like being read to them and all that kind of stuff. They just need a different setting. But some of these kids, they actually do okay in the classroom. Like, what is that barrier of we can't mix classes together? What is this barrier of we can't have... um, So when I was teaching in China for a little bit, we did it even differently where uh, this is secondary. But when we did our testing, we didn't even... We, we just said kids go, we, we just dispersed everywhere. So in the same classroom, you had kids in multiple grade levels taking an English test. And our teachers were kind of walking around the school, you check in with them, just get rid of some of these barriers. Like just, let's just get a little bit more innovative on simple ways to impact our daily life. That to well, me, is I, my, that, I'll be honest, I'm going to jump ahead of the gun. I have a takeaway that you said that I like, but that to me is one of these big takeaways. We think too much on radical solutions than just simplifying simple little things that have large ramifications in our daily living. Well, and I think sometimes the challenge we have is that when we label kids with, you know, IEPs and 504s, we think those are the kids that we provide some kind of special accommodation for not everybody else. And I just think that's unfair. I, you know, I, my good friend that I've talked about before, Bill Runda, uh, who I coached with and taught with back in Ohio. I certainly hope that when you talk about me, you use the preface, my good friend, because if you don't, I'm a fan. I say things like the the tolerable guy I meet with on Wednesdays. Uh, <laughs> Bald dude. <laughs> right. Well, he and I, he was a, a special programs teacher and he and I would go back and forth because he'd want to take kids out of my class. And, and I would, I'm like, no, this is inclusion. I'm offering up something for everybody who comes into this space. I, and this is pre, you know, inclusion being the norm. I'm like, no, send me everybody you have. Cause you know, that kid just sitting in your room, um, you know, working on worksheets, that you printed out that morning is not better than that kid sitting with us and being part of a conversation. Even if, you know, he can't quite do things at the same level, as some of the other kids. And on the other hand, some of the kids that were in there that they hadn't been labeled, they hadn't been identified, but they still needed some of the supports that a universally designed class offered. Now, 20 years ago, I wasn't great at doing that, but I sure was thinking about it and I was trying. And now that it's a thing, it's like, yeah, that's what we should be doing. We should be creating a space that eliminates barriers and allows learning to occur for all students. Yeah. And I think everybody wants to do that. That's the goal of everybody. Um, and I guess maybe that's just my point is that we, we come up with these big solutions for big problems often where I do think sometimes simple solutions solves most people's problems to your point of the curb, man. Uh, it didn't impact anybody who didn't need it, Yeah, but it helped us all. And especially those who needed it. So what I guess we can't answer everybody's questions, but that's my question to everybody is what are, what are we spend tons of money going to conferences, 
and big meetings on how to solve big problems. How much time do we spend on simple problems that have for the impact everybody that have large scale consequences or ramifications? Yeah. Just simple solutions for what probably is often a simple problem. We yeah. just complicate it with the emotion and the diversity of, of the building. So what do we want to do here? We never really got to the universal design for life, but uh, you know, we've been at it for a little while. Where should I we have it? Kind of have, I mean, we haven't maybe specifically, but I think the universal design for life in, is the same for a classroom. You're just talking about a different scenario. Well, so did you see in the news that the Seattle schools are suing big tech companies for yes. impacting the mental health? Yep. And so I, I guess I wanted to at least get that in on this conversation when we talk about universal design for life, uh, this thing that I've imagined that I, I, I'm wondering if we could find a way to start to offer up some, some legislation or, or some policy that would impact mental health the same way we did with physical abilities. No, and, let's do that. And, and I, Cause I'll have my own very, very unique uh, geographical story uh, of a, there was a coach that was recently fired and it became national news because he talked to his players about his own mental uh, health kind of struggles and a parent or two didn't like it. And so he was fired for trying to do the right thing. So I think if that's the direction you want to go, I think that's an, I would like to dive into that with you. That's good. Okay. So maybe let's do that next week. What's your big takeaway for today? So I'm going to be a little honest here. I think some of my challenge with what's your takeaway is I don't know if I'm appreciating this moment well enough that you and I are having together and really taking it in. I'm too busy thinking about what is, what, what was the outcome of this podcast? What, what did we resolve? Did we do anything? And so I'm going to walk it back a, a bit and I'm, I'm going to focus in on what you said, which is the test isn't the thing that's important. It's those kids in front of you. And so honestly, this conversation, it's, it's not the conversation that's important. It's not if anybody else is listening to it. Um, I'm, I'm actually right now looking at your video instead of yes! my own. I know that's, uh, and, and so I think that's important. I should give you that mo you, you went on your soliloquy and, and I should have just been appreciating that moment because that's what this is about. This is about the people who are in front of you, yeah. uh, this experience we're having in this moment. Casey, I, man, I don't know. Um, I think we are, we're not alone and just wrestling with some of this stuff, but I like that idea that love looks like discipline because if I'm, and I have it with, with my kids, uh, I have it with the, the people that I work with, uh, even myself receiving it, um, from others. Um, we all need discipline. We all need structure. We all need accountability. Uh, it needs to look a lot like love, uh, and love oftentimes looks a lot like discipline. So I love that phrase and I'm going to, I'm going to wrestle with that for a while. And honestly, when you bring a thing like universal design, uh, it's bigger than us. And so yeah. you and me walking through it and just trying to find something that I can grab onto to use today, uh, to use tomorrow. I'm confident with that. And I, if, if anyone is fortunate or unfortunate enough to stumble onto this podcast, um, they're just wrestling with us. And so I'm with you. Um, I, I want to have a solution and I want to say, here's what you can use tomorrow that we're going to solve this universal design problem in all classrooms. But people have been wrestling with us for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, and we're just joining in that, that choir of conversation. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, man. All right, brother. It is always a joy to see you, even if we come up with no solutions and we just kind of restate the problem. I, I thoroughly enjoy it and I enjoy hanging out with you. So um, next week, I'm excited about it. We'll kind of dive into this again. But until then, my brother, do great things. And keep knocking.
just want to give a, a small little shout out, an unpaid advertisement. Uh, I follow him on Instagram, but his name is Justin McRoberts. Uh, and he, he he's an artist. He has a book that I really appreciated called It Is What You Make of It. Um, but he had a, he just kind of always has these very somewhat poetic um, quotes about life. And he recently wrote one that I thoroughly appreciated. So I'm going to go a little bit slow so we can all take it in. Uh, but it says this. If I wanted to ruin you, I would convince you over a long time through disappointment and empty promise that something you think or something you do is more important than the people in your life. And that is the kind of stuff that he produces pretty consistently that just causes me to pause and reevaluate where I'm going. And so Justin McRoberts, you can find him on Instagram. You can find some of his books my unpaid advertisement for today. Thanks again for listening to Shirt and Ties. You can find us on Shirt and Ties on Twitter. Email us, shirtandties@gmail.com. All right. Have a great day. See you.